2: Welcome to Wheel Suckers, Suckers! brought to you by Look Mum No Hands and the London Bike Kitchen. Look Mum No Hands is a cafe, cycle, bar, workshop on 49 Old Street in London. We serve coffee, bikes, and beer, and food. And what do you do,
3: Jenny? The London Bike Kitchen is a do-it-together bike workshop located in Hoxton on 28 Whitmore Road.
2: Hello. My name's Alex. This is Jenny. We do a cycling industry tandem comedy podcast.
3: What you got coming up, Jenny? So I got accepted to the School of Social Entrepreneurs. I'm doing a, <laughs> um, a program that's aimed at small social businesses that are expanding and need help. And that is definitely something that London Bike Kitchen fits into, and applied for this grant a few months ago and got accepted. So now, for the next seven months, I will be going to school. I need a new notebook. I need something. I need a new outfit. Like you need
2: a book wrapped in ribbon yeah. and a fresh apple every yeah. day. <laughs> Give it to the teacher. <laughs> Rub it on your chest. <laughs> Do I get an A now? <laughs>
3: um, so that starts tomorrow. And also in LBK, we've got two new classes coming up for next month which are introduction to mapping. So if you don't know anything about how to map out a route and this could be for a short day-long ride or it could be for a cycle tour and we're gonna be talking about how to use paper maps and compasses as well as computer GPS systems. Old school um, and new school. Old school and new school. And our other class is touring maintenance which is going to be covering lots of emergency repairs really many of the common potential pitfalls that happen when you're out cycling in the middle of nowhere and you need to get a quick fix. In that vein, next week, I'm going to the Cycle Touring Festival, so I will broadcast maybe a little snippet Coming at us live yeah. from the Touring Festival. From way up north, I have Oh, gosh, no where idea. are you going? It's Lang- Clitheroe. Oh, dear. Lang- <laughs> Lancashire. Oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. Hello, northern <laughs> I France. We fun. do love you, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, really, really excited
2: I'm going to butt in to quickly share a little audio piece from Phil. He's going to talk about the great escape ride that happened on Sunday, the 14th of May.
4: Hello, I'm Philip from The Ride Journal. It's a magazine that I co-created with my brother Andrew and a couple of friends in 2008. The easiest thing to do if you want to know more about it is to visit our website, theridejournal.com. And you can download the first seven issues for free. Free! But the download version is nowhere near as good as the print version. But it is free. Alex asked me to give a little report on the Great Escape ride which I went on last Sunday. Can you explain the Great Escape to us? It's basically a 200km ride put on by the good folk from Islington CC. The route starts at Look Mum No Hands and then heads out into the wilderness of Essex and then heads back. In past years the weather's been amazing but this year it was raining at the start. But as it's been so dry over the recent months I guess we would due some rain. What did we ride? It was a day for the posh bikes so I had my stainless steel Enigma and Andrew was on his Independent Fabrications tie Jewel. Obviously you don't need anything as fancy as this, but with so few vices in my life, I feel I deserve something like this. What did we see? So much green. The best kept secret about Essex is how beautiful a lot of it is. And with the rain coming down after all that sunshine of late, the fields and the forests were really popping with every shade of green. Really was a beautiful day riding through the countryside there. And what did I hear? The endless chatter from my brother and I. My favourite sound while riding. Despite being in contact with him most days, we still managed to fill eight hours with talking nonsense. Riding for me is very much a social activity and even better when it can be done at a pace that makes conversation difficult. And at the end of the ride, the best noise that we heard was a pop as we opened a couple of cans of Beavertown's finest IPA when we got back to Look Mum No Hands. All in all, it was a really good day being out there. Always good to get out and always good to get a decent few miles under your legs. (laughs)
2: Thank you, Phil. So, just some events I wanted to shout out about the 27th of May, the Lip Mummy House Kitchen, finery London. It's a wine-tasting evening. It's set up by three friends, Charlotte, Claudia and Leeston. It's based on a Berlin star where you rent the glass. Taste loads of awesome wine, and then you pay at the end what you think it's worth. I like wine, maybe you like wine too. Let's get wined. (laughs) There's a really nice guy called Max Leonard. He's written a book called Higher Calling Road Cycling's Obsession with the Mountains. Why do road cyclists go to the mountains? Many books tell you where the mountains are, or how long or how high, but none of them ask, Why? (laughs) Max has written a book about why the hell do we like mountains? Why do cyclists go to mountains? Why do cyclists ride up mountains? Who knows? Check out the book. He's got a book launch. It's happening on Thursday, the 25th of May at Old Street. can officially announce there will be free beer. Drink a beer, maybe look at a bike book. And uh, his mum's going to be there. So I'm going to try and get a oh, quote from his mum about the book. Nice. <laughs> so that's what we've got coming up. As always, Jiro Talia is live on the big screen every day. I've got to add
3: something. What? Team WAG's Cinnabon Run is this Sunday. Cinnabon Run. It's this Sunday. 21st. Know, 21st. And we're riding from Waterloo, Waterloo, to um, Windsor, where apparently there is a place that has very good cinnamon rolls. So two starts. So if you want to do the full ninety kilometers, leave from Waterloo, Waterloo, to um, to Windsor, and then or you could meet at Kingston station, and that's seventy kilometers, and then we all go there, we pig out, and then take the train back.
2: So now we've got a great guest for you. This week we met Karen Hartley, who yes, is a bespoke frame builder. We are going to play that for you now. <laughs> We're at Karen's boat this evening, so you have, might hear a splash or a duck. Yes. What's, she, what's your name and where'd you come from?
5: Uh, my name is Karen, and
2: I come from Torquay. What's the famous thing about Torquay? Forty Towers. Oh my god, that's so <laughs> exciting! <laughs> Can you go to the...
5: Yeah. It was based on a hotel called the Glen Eagles, but the, the actual hotel it was filmed in was a set.
3: Oh, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, w- what do you do, Karen? Uh, I make
5: bespoke bicycles from steel and stainless steel. So they're all um, uniquely tailored for individual customers, so they fit them perfectly. They're designed to do all of the different things the customers might want to do with them. Often they're bikes that can want to do a variety of things, so they might, the customer might mainly want a road bike, but perhaps with the option to go touring. So just trying to think about their unique needs.
2: What are you working on
3: at the moment?
5: I am working on a few different orders for customers. I've been working on collaboration with Reynolds Tubing and the Scale Wall Architects and the Goldsmith Centre. And we've been making an installation um, for the Club World Design Week, which is um, made from a sort of framework installation made from Reynolds uh, seat stays. Sort of a growing structure that grows around the outside of the building.
3: And it's then, all it's, seat stays going around the building. Yeah. Are they gigantic yeah. <laughs> seat stays? <laughs> How many are there in total? <laughs> I think there's 600. What? Oh my god, in total.
5: And they're all Bloody, yeah. they're linked together. With with a 3D printed, it's almost like a, a custom lug,
2: which has been printed. So people can come and see this exhibition, right? Yeah. When so is it? It's
5: The installation's there now, and it's been growing for the last month. The first bit of it was and
3: built. Seat Stay's been growing. So it's, yeah, so it's like a structure <laughs> that's linked, linked together.
5: Yeah, wow. So multiplying.
3: I want to go see it. Um, that's on the outside of the building now.
5: And then the exhibition is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday next week so there's an exhibition of objects as well made using jewelry and silversmithing skills to make other objects so um that's why i'm at. because i've started out as a silversmith using the same skills really to make bikes it's a perfect fit um and keith from Reynolds and i did a talk on wednesday as well
2: what's the talk about
5: it's about metallurgy and design
2: cool. metallurgy yeah.
5: That's when you bad name metal.
2: metal, Metallurgy. Metallurgy. (laughs) Metallurgy. Nobody knows how to
3: say it. Walk us through the process about how a bike is born. Daddy Daddy bike and a mommy bike (laughs) love each other very much. (laughs) Ding, ding.
2: (laughs) You hear like gears changing like...
5: (laughs) (laughs) So each one starts with a customer basically. So it'll be a chat in the workshop. We'll talk about mostly what type of riding they want to do with the bike, so that's always the starting point, like what they actually want to do with it. And then once we figured out what they want to do with it, I can sort of think about what type of bike might fulfil those needs. And then we talk about what it's going to look like, what details there might be on it, what different custom bits and components, all sort of that sort of thing. And then that's the kind of sort of the beginning of the design process. Then I'll After that, they'll get fitted, so they'll get measured and fitted on a jig, which is a fully adjustable bike that can be adapted. Do you do the bike fit? No, I don't. So I use a company called Live Velo in Hoxton. I send my customers there and that fits them. From from the fit, then I get a series of contact points for where Mm -hmm. their hands, bum, feet need to be, basically, in relation to each other. And around those contact points, I design the bike. So that it'll handle the way they want it to, or do the things they want it to do.
3: Is bum the technical term that you use? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes.
2: <laughs> They're pretty much the three bits that touch Those a that bike. It's quite interesting when you think about yeah. it. Not much else. Yeah. yeah. So you you kinda of chat about what the bike needs to be, you fit the bike, you work on the contact points, and then and then um, so once I've designed the frame, then
5: I order the tubes from Reynolds often. And then The making process basically is cutting the tubes, mitering the tubes so they fit together in specific angles they need to. And then I've got a jig that holds the tubes in place whilst I braze, whilst I tack them, cut all the tubes, fit them in place and then I tack them, which is like a little blue tack. Blue
2: tack, yeah, you when you said it, like, jig, I actually yeah. thought of a dance. dance. <laughs> I imagined you like dancing, and then with the, with the tubes the like swing, and then like, magically stay in place. It's like, magic. More exactly, what you do.
3: With...
2: So you tack it. Sorry.
3: So <laughs> it's, all right, it's okay. With blue tack. Um, um, so a tack's just
5: like a tiny dot of braise basically. So it's like, yeah, mini. So yeah, like a, a little a mini braise
3: mm. so, That's like a placeholder. Yeah. For...
5: Tack it in place. Check the alignment. And then, if that's all good, braise it together. And then after it's brazed together, it's many, many hours of filing.
3: I have a question about filing. Do you do it by hand, or do you use a little electric, you know, those little Dremel nail file yeah, spinny bits? Hand. It's all by Wow. How yeah. long does it take? Yeah. A long. long
5: time. <laughs> <laughs> the fun bit, the, the brazing, is a really, really small bit of the whole process. That's the funnest.
3: Is that the funnest bit?
5: Yeah, because it's like magic. you just, mm-hmm. you're like joining two bits of metal together. To get to that bit, there's hours and hours of prep and then mm. after is hours and hours of finishing to get that little golden moment.
2: And then after the filing? The f- Coloring it Coloring it colouring Coloring it in. In. Coloring yeah. Colouring it Yay. Do you do your spray yourself? Yeah, I've always done it myself. Ah, awesome. Partly when I started
5: because I couldn't afford to pay enough to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, my
3: bike was like the first one. It was. It, it went really well. It came out really well. So, yeah. I, so I thought paying was really easy. <laughs>
5: like everyone's is painting so hard and it's not at all um and then I messed up like three bikes in a row like mine and I had to respray that and then what's the
2: process with that is that quite tricky then
5: lots of things with paint lots of things with paint can be fixed so like one of the like a one of the sort of phrases that I learned is the difference between a good painter and a bad painter is a good painter will understand how to rectify mistakes or okay. rectify things that go wrong because there's so much in paint that's out of your control you can do everything right and things will still go wrong because of external circumstances. Depends, it really depends on the frame, but mm. it's normally at least a couple of days after that half a day of polishing and finishing. So it's quite a long-winded process. Once you've coloured it in, it's kind of just fitting the final little pieces uh yeah in an ideal situation you dry build everything as you go which you most cases you need to anyway so dry just, build so you so as you're building the frame you're putting the components on checking the clearances right checking things are in the right place by actually kind of like fitting the brakes for example into the bridge so you know that they're in the right place and that the brake pads are going to yeah. reach the rims yeah. and things like that and there's going to be enough clearance for tires and if you've got mud guards as well occasionally you can't do that for whatever reason, like sometimes. You're waiting for a part, and you've just got to get on and make the frame.
3: Oh, where do you get your bikes built? Because after you finish all the painting and all that stuff.
5: So, mechanics at Rat Race Cycles, which is a bike shop just on the road, and they build most of my frames.
3: Uh, I wanted to find out about your intern, Verity. So, Verity
5: was my intern for a year, maybe? And now she's my first member of staff. Aha! She's great. She... she like takes the pressure off, because before I was trying to do everything, Answer you know, answer emails, do all the ordering, make bikes, and there's just not enough time, you know, enough hours in a day, or in a day a week to do all that stuff as well, so she does a lot of that now. She also is building her own frames, she's under Nichols' framework, she exhibited it we spoke for the first time this year.
3: That's interesting because I think people might see you guys as rivals, because you're both female frame builders and I don't know you work in the same industry it's a re- it's fairly competitive already but you're you're actually working together how is that
5: i think it works because she's got a reasonably good understanding of the industry because she's in it i think i don't think people would say the same about like we are all, all the different frame builders especially in london are rivals but it's a really tiny tiny industry and Most of us are friends as well, so there's no difference. I don't think between very and I being rivals and working together, or rivals and friends, than me and Matt from Tablet Frameworks being rivals and also friends. All the frameworks are technically rivals, but because it's such a small industry, most of us are
3: friends as well. Yeah, it's nice to hear you guys collaborating. It is
5: quite a hard industry to be in. It's a really hard industry to make financially viable. Most people are all having the same problems because of that quite open to helping each other out like you know if any of us can help each other out then we do if you're doing because the nature of doing new things all the time because we're sort of often building new bikes and solving new problems there's normally going to be somebody else that's done something like that before so there's quite a sort of like a, a knowledge sharing it's much better to work together
3: isn't it than against
5: always i think there's a general feeling of like all of us against Mass production so yeah true You're on the same, that's team, your yeah. rifle yeah.
3: That's
2: <laughs> we want to hear more about your ambassador scheme I saw your fantastic email that went round with a picture of Juliet Elliot with an amazing gold leaf bike and I was like what the fuck is this <laughs> it's pretty hilarious, yeah, isn't it yeah it was like go big or go home <laughs> yeah yeah so the ambassador
5: scheme I just started it really so it's kind of it's evolving as it's sort of becoming a thing, if that makes sense.
2: It's a new project, yeah, it evolves new, over it's time. It's a new project, yeah,
5: exactly. But the reason I wanted to start it, a few reasons. So like, firstly, to support women in the industry or doing really sort of exciting stuff, being really rad, sort of working really hard and shouting about women doing cool stuff on bikes, basically. I think that's really important because I think it's really, really important that women in sport are visible because there aren't enough. There are lots of women in sport, but... They're not very visible. Like we hardly ever see women in sport on telly. They're not in the papers. Then you know we don't see what women are up to. So it means that as a young woman or a girl, you don't necessarily know that that's an option for you. Not necessarily role. I don't know. Role models is it sort of is the right word and it sort of isn't. Because I think maybe if I start at the beginning, like I was never sporty. Like I'll admit that straight off. I was never ever sporty. I really enjoyed football when I was at primary school. and I was on the girls' football team, and I loved it. And I was terrible, absolutely terrible. <laughs> and we were all pretty bad. Like we lost <laughs> nearly every match we played. Oh, I love this um, <laughs> a TV show where you're like
2: really plucky, but, but you, you keep losing. Hurt yeah, <laughs> you kept losing. You were really terrible. Um, but I
5: loved it, and we, we had we had a really great time. And then I got to secondary school, and then all of a sudden you had to be good at sport to be in the teams. And so it was kind of that sort of feeling of sports not for you. There were no, you don't see adult women doing sport, like some athletics perhaps, but that's sort of like every four years of the Olympics you see women running. Well, it's changing a bit but now, but as a teenager, you don't, the only female role models you see are just women looking pretty. That's kind of, so that becomes like your idea of what you should be. I should be a woman that tries to look pretty. It's like you're on the option. I just think it's important basically it's important for women to be visible in sports so that young girls can see it as an option. And not unless there are loads of women doing amazing things and winning stuff, but sometimes there's also women just like really enjoying sport and just doing something that's a real challenge for them and gaining a lot out of it. Like I gained so much once I started cycling and started being sporty and athletic, like my confidence grew tenfold. I became okay with my body. I just, I just suddenly realised it was fine and for the, whole, for the whole of my life i had been like oh I'm too fat I'm too short I'm too this I'm too that and when I started doing lots of exercise and cycling my body like might have looked a bit better but probably not really it looks pretty much the same
2: as it always did but I'm okay with it now confidence is all just about feeling good about what you've done and that might have been absolutely tiny but feeling good is the most important thing marginal gains to bring it back to the ambassador thing, if women are more visible
5: in sport, then hopefully, like teenage me, wouldn't think sport wasn't for her, and teenage other girls can think sports for them as well, even if they're really slow runners. But, but you know, sorry. I'm still a slow runner. I'm still slow at cycling, it does, but that doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. None it's of those right. things matter. It's, it's not a
2: race. I'd like you to sp- explain a bit more about so with Julia Elliott. So
5: she is she's a multidisciplinary bike racer. So she races road, fixed crits, mountain bike all sorts of things she is super sporty and really good at it as well she's, actually
2: good. Yeah.
5: she's racing the fixed crit season this year and i built her a fixed crit bike to race um so she's been racing she raced on it at red hook in brooklyn last month yeah and then she was at hamburg last weekend and she won the track sprint and she cool. came forth in the crit well. yes
2: so we can see the bike on your website. Yeah, it's we on, can see the bike on site. Yeah. Um, Instagram. Yeah. It's on Instagram. Um, We're gramming. Oh, be like gramming too. What's your Instagram, Karen? Uh. <laughs> at Hartley Cycles. <Sizes. laughs> Go have a look at that bike. I really like on your Instagram. You- do a lot of posts of you building bikes working on bits and aspects and like your chip fingernails <laughs> <laughs> i love that though love they're working hands what's coming up so
5: um, you've got an exhibition and a talk coming up yeah got some really exciting news but not as telling tell anyone the 22nd oh
2: that is so annoying yeah. so um, where will you announce this where can we
5: on the 22nd i will be announcing my really exciting news <gasps> via the social media. We love social
2: media, don't we Jay? We'll
5: be on it. Just book flights to the States to ride some trails in Oregon.
3: Amazing. I'm gonna go cycle some trails, gonna do some road riding. (laughs) I'm gonna go do some road riding. (laughs) Some riding around San Francisco.
2: Nice. Oh Yeah I'm really excited. (laughs) So we can follow you on Instagram and Twitter at, at HartleyCycles.
3: Thank you yeah. very much for agreeing to be on our podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks for having us on your boat. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. yeah, bye.
2: That was refreshing. Thank you, Karen. Let's all stay fucking visible. <laughs> uh, we'd like to add, Karen gets a brownie point for having her own Richard's Bicycle Book. It's yeah. Richard's Bicycle Repair Manual. Everything you need to know to keep your bicycle in peak condition. And we're laughing that our oh, Richard is a younger Richard, but a older book. Younger. Newer book, but older Richard. Yeah. And he's
3: um, wearing fetching lycra shorts. We need to channel old Richard.
2: We're, 70s we're Richard. reaching out to young Richard in the old realm. <laughs> we're reaching into the time portal. To connect with young 70s Richard. Should we type that into the Ouija board? So we've got a digital Ouija board. It's quite new. I haven't seen one like this before. It's a keyboard and we're typing into it and then there's a little digital screen. We're placing our hands down on the keyboard Ouija board and we're calling out to Richard. Speak to us, Richard. I'm holding in my hands a slightly yellowed book from the 70s. Uh, We read a section from Richard's bicycle book, A Manual of Bicycle Maintenance and
3: Enjoyment.
2: (laughs) This is a book written in the 70s, and the things that Richard writes about are still relevant today. Surprise, surprise. Weird, huh? I just spotted this little section that I thought was interesting that I'm going to read. Under harassment, there are enough aspects and tricks to traffic jamming that I am simply going to run them as a list. Before doing so, a brief discussion about traffic regulations. Oh. So yeah, I wanted to to just read out this section about mentions the highway code. So a cyclist must ride according to the highway code. If you are not familiar with the basic rules of the road, the meaning of various signs and lights and the proper techniques for turns and roundabouts, then get a copy of the code from a post office or bookshop and study it. You can also enrol in the National Cycling Proficiency Scheme, which trains and tests in the fundamentals of cycling and the code. It only takes a few hours and is free. I recommend it as compulsory for children. Inquire at your (laughs) police station or school. (laughs) But I like he says, this may all seem like a bit much to you. In my view, any user of the road, whether on a lorry, bicycle, roller skates or pogo stick, should pass a test. Getting out on roads is a serious business, on your pogo stick, (laughs) which, if it is to be done safely and with consideration for the rights of others, requires that you know what is going on. Further, your equal status and rights are an important protection, which can be maintained only by obeying the same rules as everybody else. And this is possible only if you know what the rules are. And in general, these are... He's got four points each one the bullet point is an actual bicycle which is (laughs) rad as hell that you ride as well to the left as is consistent with safety obey traffic signs and lights give way to pedestrians at zebra crossings and signal turns and stops so left turn is left arm held straight out to the side right turn ditto the right arm and stop a downward patting motion of the extended right arm so it's a downward patting dog (laughs) It's a yoga move. <laughs> yeah, it's a for yoga move. <laughs> I feel compelled to pass on to you the information that a cyclist can be prosecuted for endangerment of self or others, recklessness, dangerous riding, or riding under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Ooh-hoo, Richard. <laughs> a knowledge of the rules is essential, and it is only a bare beginning, moreover and especially as a relative defenceless bicyclist. You should not rely on your rights to protect you, but engage in a form of defensive riding which assumes that there is in some way for somebody to get you, they will. I'm just going to read off a few little points that Richard lists. Hands nearer on brake levers at all times. Be alert. There is plenty to watch out for. Be definite. Save meandering for country lanes where you can see for a long way in both directions. And be defensive. Always assume the worst. You can't see around the stop bus. Assume a pregnant lady who is the sole support of 21 children is going to come prancing out. There is a car waiting to cross your lane? Assume it will, because it will. In four or of five accidents involving bicycles and motor vehicles, the motor vehicle committed a traffic violation. Always ride within a margin of control which allows you to stop or escape should absolutely everything go wrong. Be prepared for the worst, Richard warns us from beyond the grave you know be defensive be definite be alert keep your hands on the brake
3: i'm inclined i mean i know richard's right but i still feel like there's a lot of victim blaming defensive cycling and having to ride within a traffic system that doesn't really protect the most vulnerable people on the road but we were talking about this earlier and like there's differences in infrastructure but also just differences in people's attitudes and people seem to be really impatient in Western cultures. In Japan, when I was cycling there, people are patient, and they don't have any special infrastructure. You can ride on the pavement. You can ride anywhere, and people are just chill. They, like, get out of your way. But also, like, people on the bikes aren't, like, barreling through. They're polite as well. So, Mm. like, everyone's just really respectful towards everyone else. And it's, like, imagine, like, you don't even have to install any sort of infrastructure because people are just polite to each other.
2: Yeah, infrastructure doesn't always lead into respect. Yeah. I like what Rich is saying. This is actually how I ride. I ride where I assume everything's going to go wrong all the time and I'm always prepping to stop. Yeah, you have to. All these endless cautions are depressing. seems that riding in traffic involves girding yourself for battle and inducing... A constant state of morbid apprehension for your life. This is true. The idea of mixing cars and bicycles together is crazy. Cars themselves are an atavistic idiocy, responsible for millions of deaths and injuries. It is entirely logical to want to have nothing to do with them. On the other hand, you can get used to it. If you're an alert, defensive rider, you are reasonably safe. In return to the risks, there are many benefits, and it is up to you to decide how they balance. It isn't all bad by any means, but never deny the stark reality in traffic there is a chance you will be killed. This is heavy and dark, but Jenny, you have something to say. Just wanted to say that there is a petition out
3: now on change.org about the cyclist that was killed last week in Oxford. Claudio Comberti was a member of the Broken Spoke Bike Co op, which is a sister organisation to London Bike Kitchen. And she was hit by a bus. There's a petition started now to get Oxford Council to start putting in better infrastructure to protect cyclists. There's a lot of students out there, and a lot of them ride bikes. And I think the city could do well to install stuff like that. And so if you can, please sign the petition. Campaign for
2: better infrastructure in London. Infrastructure just leads towards safety and space for cyclists and on that note we will leave you <laughs> thanks <slightly>. Richard <laughs> thanks Richard for getting heavy with us yeah. it's not always all fun and enjoyment <laughs> stay vigilant stay safe if you like what we're doing please leave a review on iTunes please like on SoundCloud please recommend and share us to your friends and tag us hashtag Podcast. we're going to take a break next week So we'll be back with a podcast on the 2nd of June. See you next time. Bye.
4: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.